I'm Chris Barker. And I'm Will Betts, and this is the Music Tech My Forever Studio podcast. In this podcast, we speak with producers, engineers, DJs, and industry figureheads about their fantasy forever studio. The studio our guests describe will be one that they have to live with forever. But even in Fantasy Foreverland, we have some rules. Totally reasonable and non-arbitrary rules. <laughs> yeah. So what are these rules? Well, our guests can select a computer, a DAW, and an audience face. Those are free. Those are freebies given. Then they have the complex challenge of choosing just six other bits of studio kit plus one non-studio related luxury item. Chris, there is one more rule though, isn't there? Yeah, I mean it's very important. No bundles. No bundles. That's the one. Choosing a package of separate software or hardware as a single item is not permitted. Today on the show, we have a gentleman that Wikipedia calls Alexander Polko, but he is better known to the world as Sasha. Yes, indeed. Sasha is prolific and his music spans electronic genres from acid house to atmospheric trance and much more, making him a very difficult artist to pin down. Sasha has produced with the likes of James Abelia, John Digweed, BT, and even remixed Madonna, scored video games such as Gran Turismo. The list goes on. And he was also one of the first true superstar DJs. He's also an enormous gearhead and one of the first innovators to take Ableton Live into the DJ booth, so I'm excited to hear what's on his list. Yes, let's get to it. This is My Forever Studio with Sasha. Welcome. Hey guys, nice to be here. That was a chunky intro for you. Did you like it? <laughs> no, I liked it very much. You missed a few things out, but... Um... <laughs> we, don't have time for, we don't have time for all your accolades. They say, yeah, I know. Yeah. No, I'm joking. As we just heard, superstar DJ traveling the world, where would you put your dream forever studio in the world and what would it kind of look like you know the space and the vibe i mean probably one of the most inspiring places i've ever written music um was at have you seen uh lost in translation the, yeah. the movie yeah. with bill murray yes so that hotel he stays in is called the park hyatt in uh, tokyo <laughs> and um when you're in the rooms in that hotel, you can basically see the whole of Tokyo uh, twinkling away in the, in, in the middle of the night or, you know, you can see Mount Fuji during the day. And um, I'm lucky enough to have played in Tokyo many times and it's always the place I request to stay. Sometimes the promoter won't foot the bill and I have to <laughs> pay a little extra <laughs> myself, but um, it's just the most incredible hotel with this amazing vista. And I find that whenever I go to Tokyo... I'm usually quite jet lagged and um, it's very hard as, as Bill Murray finds out in the film, it's very hard to get adjusted to the local time zones and you do end up sitting up at sort of two, three, four in the morning, wandering down to the lobby to see some guy playing jazz piano or whatever. But <laughs> I, I find that um, in those moments, rather than getting wound up that I can't sleep, which is what I used to do, I treat those moments as, as kind of sacred writing time you know this time when no one's going to bother me <laughs> no one can bother me i'm in this <clears throat> completely alien space overlooking tokyo and it, as in terms of writing music it's one of the most inspiring yeah it must uh, feel like blade runner or something looking it really is yeah. it really is like that i mean tokyo's like a city from the future anyway you know so um so yeah i've i've written a lot of kind of melodic ideas and and worked on tracks at sort of three four o'clock in the morning in the, in those hotel rooms whenever i've stayed there so if i had to pick a spot that would probably be yeah we can do that one. we can we can take it over we can maybe take over the penthouse have that as the studio that that, that yeah that, yeah that sounds that sounds good nice, cool. <laughs> and what about the decor in there would you keep it as it is or do you, do you have a particular like vibe that you like for writing do you like everything neat and tidy and kind of 
futuristic? Or? Uh, my studios have usually been quite messy because I'm constantly changing things. And I've found that whenever I've kind of paid a load of money to wire things in, I end up within a year ripping it all out and just I'm always moving things around and trying different methods in the studio and changing a direction. So, you know, at the moment, my studio is just there's just cables everywhere and, and gear. I'm constantly I'm always trying to find mm-hmm. the right workflow for where pieces of equipment should be. Yeah. So whenever you set something in stone, like built, built, um, screw it into a piece of wooden furniture, I usually find it's not the right place for it <laughs> and I want to move it somewhere else. So I've got, at the moment, I've got everything on these kind of wheelie uh, uh, racks that I got from Toman, these kind of, uh, and, and, and I can just move things around and I'm constantly doing that depending on what track I'll be working on that day. I might move my drum machines closer, sequences closer, or I might move the mixer closer. Yeah, I'm constantly moving things around. So yeah, it's a- there's something to be said for that, isn't there? Having like a big room with everything in the middle that you can get around the back of everything. Yeah, because that's the other thing as well. Yeah. When you hardwire everything in, sometimes you can't get to- even if you just want to move a speaker, you're like, oh, I'm going to crawl under the desk. Yeah, or- so I've actually got at the moment. I'm in quite a, a a cavernous space in the basement of this house. It's like a garage uh, thing that I'm in. Which when I first walked into it, I was like, this is going to be a disaster because I clapped my hands and there was literally a 12 second reverb in the, <laughs> in the carriage and I was like this is going to be terrible what am I going to do I, I can't atmospheric oh trance. my god it was just <laughs> such and it was really harsh you know I think it was something to do with the metal door of the garage and it's just like the angles of the walls and stuff it was just insane the sound of this reverb but as we kind of brought stuff into it and you know I set up a sofa there with the telly for when we want to watch some footy and and then we, on the other side of the room we just put all our kind of boxes and it just all soaked up the reverb and now it actually sounds amazing and I don't know how I've done it but I've managed to acoustically treat this terrible space. Yeah, it's just yeah. When, when you get it right, it's just like, don't move a box, don't touch air. Don't move anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, but yeah, it's quite wide and quite deep, so I can get around all the back of the gear. So if I do need to change something around, it's really quite, it's quite easy. It's just not very, it, it doesn't look very nice to look at, but in terms of the workflow, I like being able to just constantly move things around. So it feels like if you, if you're a young DJ now, you need two studios. You need the one you work in and one for Instagram. Oh, the LEDs. Yeah. You need one for Instagram that's perfectly white and got the panels everywhere and it's just got <laughs> everything's lit with neon, you know, the, the LED lights and stuff. And then yeah, the one you actually the one you actually use is a total mess. <laughs> it's just yeah, your laptop on the coffee table or something. Yeah. Well, it started it started off like that because when when we got locked down and I was in Ibiza, I had no gear there. All my stuff was in London. And I didn't even have a pair of speakers. And I was like, damn, I'm going to have to work from home. And I'm like, okay, so I need to set up. And I just gradually, uh, you know, a guy from Pioneer sent me over some speakers. And I started borrowing bits of gear from other people, a push controller and this and that. And just gradually built it up and then spent a little bit of money at home and bought some uh, a, a couple of analog bits. And uh, yeah, just, yeah, it's just, it's, it's not a very complex, big studio, but it's got everything I need right now. What you're working on right now? Because you've got a um, got a new compilation and some bits coming out, some some new music. Yeah, there's a new album coming out this month called Loser Scorer. It's a compilation of original music, and I've done. I've also done a DJ mixed version of it. So it's uh, uh, tw- 21 tracks with uh, like two of my own, three of my own on there actually. Um, and it's it's all come from a sound that I was curating. There was a Spotify playlist that I started working on, started putting together about three years ago. 
And in the beginning, it was just the sort of music that I wanted to listen to when I wasn't listening to club music and looking for club music. It was all the kind of weird and wonderful electronic music that I like to listen to at home or that I like to look for uh, inspiration for in the studio. And um, so I started doing this playlist and I'd update it a bit willy nilly. And then in the last sort of couple of years, we've, uh, we've taken it a bit more seriously and it gets updated every couple of weeks now. And at the end of the year, we'll do the, the best 100 tracks of the year. And um, the response of it's been really, really strong. And I, I feel that um, when we got into lockdown and I, all my gigs started to cancel, um, I found it very hard to listen to kind of banging club music, mm. you know, sort of two, two, three months into the lockdown. I'm like, because I'm always, whenever I'm listening to banging club music, I'm always thinking, I always think of where where I'm going to play it, at what time uh, in my set I'm going to play it. And I'm always like organising things in my head and I can't help but do that when I'm listening to club music. So, you know, once all the gigs kind of dropped out for the summer, I'm mm. like, I, I found it hard to listen to it because I'm thinking, well, I don't know where I'm going to play this. Where's this going to fit? When am, I, when am I actually playing next? So I really gravitated towards this other sound, this loser scorer sound. Um, and I had to do a couple of streams. We did one outside in the garden in Ibiza and I played this sound and kind of put it together as a DJ set. And it's the first time I'd actually DJed it. You know, I was just mm. used to listening to it on Spotify, but I hadn't actually sequenced the music together before uh, this kind of music. A lot of the tracks are really short and there's a lot of music in some of them. So, you know, mixing them is it's, it's quite intense, um, but it really worked and it really flowed as a DJ set. So, I really sort of started going down that uh, in, into that sound and we talked about what we should do something with it, develop it and the idea of doing this compilation uh, came about. Um, the great thing about Instagram and Twitter and stuff these days is that, you know, whenever we would update the Spotify playlist, you know, we'd tag all the artists that we were that we'd be using in the in the playlist. So I just made a list of like 30 artists that I wanted to, uh, you know, to, to, to put on the compilation and um, I reached out to them and everyone was like, oh, yeah, I know the playlist. I've got this piece of music. And it just it came together so quickly and so kind of effortlessly. It was really nice, the response I got from a lot of these artists. And a lot of these artists were people that if I'd approached them to make a record for Last Night on Earth, which is kind of my more club uh, label, I don't think they would have known what to do with it. You know, but because of the playlist, had already, you know, they already had an idea of what the sound was and um and it was great because I made it a lot I made it a lot of connections with with some great new artists with some older artists that I didn't uh, have have a connection with and um yeah it's been a really positive thing the album's turned out great I think and um yeah it's going to be it's, it's dropping this month so the original music that you made for that was that made in that sort of makeshift studio in Ibiza then yeah it was yeah 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 I had wow. a couple of these kind of, uh, late night kind of spurts where I would just uh um I had all these MIDI MIDI sequences from tracks uh, that we kind of hadn't finished, or and I put them all into one session. So I basically had this this master uh, Ableton session just full of MIDI clips, and I just started firing these MIDI clips onto different synths. And just one night, I think I wrote, I, I got I got like ten different ideas down. I was about to go to bed at like eleven thirty at night. I was in quite a bad mood because it had been quite a full on day. And um, I thought, I'll just go down and have a fiddle with that session. And then before I knew it, it was four in the morning. But I had like four, I had about 10, di 10 different ideas kind of printed down. And, and three of those actually turned into these these tracks. So, yeah, it was one of those nights where I just kind of just went crazy with the writing. I, I like to do that in spurts like that, you know. I think, um, yeah, when you're on it, you've just got to keep going, haven't you? Like when you have that moment. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that sort of leads us, segues us nicely into the fact that, you know, you're, you're dealing with your limited cut-down studio in Ibiza, and uh, yeah, we're going to build a limited studio now, but with, with budget, no option. Fantasy Forever Studio. So first three things you get for free. You get a DAW, a computer, and an audio interface for free. So let's talk okay. about those three things before we get to your six choices okay so computer wise mac pc you must you must have started back in the day on ataris and all sorts right yeah i think we had an atari running notator was it <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 um but then yeah i mean, I mean we shifted onto mac as soon as it kind of came available and os9 i do I, th- there was some quirky things on os9 that i do kind of miss i know i was talking to uh bt last year yeah. and he yeah. he's actually rebuilt a whole old os9 mac with yeah. all those old plugins and stuff, because the stuff that didn't, that never made it over into OS X, you know, that and there was a certain sound that that OS nine stuff had. We we were using Logic in OS nine at the time, and um, there were just certain plugins there that just that, that just had a, r- a really unique sound, a little bit crap but really good. And it, yeah, I'm 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 kind of gutted that I got I just got rid of that system completely. I had a whole kind of Pro Tools rig, and yeah, he's actually built that entire system. For his for his t- t- to get that sound back, you know. Yeah. Did he, did he mention that on the podcast? I well, think he did. We yeah, had yeah. BT He's... on last series. I think oh, he mentioned you? that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah he's uh... got he's got a whole room dedicated to sort of nineteen uh, nineties. <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> all those zones. Yeah, it's mad. We, we talked about making a follow up because um, uh, it was something like twenty years since we made the ride record together, um, and. I think Ralph Moore yeah. from Mixmag posted something about it, and I was like, "God, has it been that long? It's crazy!" And I, so I, I got hold of him, and I'm like, "You know, we really should make a follow up to that." You know, um, it kind of came around as well because Andy Weatherall used to play that record at the end of his sets, and uh, people always used to tell me that Weatherall finished with your track again, and it was one of his secret weapons, really. Um, and I think he used to think it was quite funny he was playing a Sasha and BT record, <laughs> and. Um, so yeah, when he passed away, it sort of all it came up and was in the conversation, and uh, um, yeah, I spoke to uh, Brian, and we were like, well, if we're going to do a follow up to that record, we've got to use all the equipment we used. He's basically got this whole room set up. Um, I don't think there's any MIDI in it; it'd all be recording things, and it's just so yeah. I, I you know we could. You know, a lot of the time I do collaborations, we just start sending stuff backwards and forwards online, and a lot of the time you finish a track without even getting in the room with somebody. Um, but we've both decided that when this quarantine shit's over, we're actually, I'm going to come to Washington. I'm sure I'll be heading there for a show anyway, as soon as this is over and spend a couple of days in his <laughs> 1990s room. You should go full <laughs> 90s. You should do the clothes, the food, <laughs> the, the, yeah. <laughs> the haircuts, everything. Um, cool. So I guess for, for your forever studio, you're going to choose Mac, right? Yeah, I have to. And I would choose... I'd, I'd choose okay. one of the biggest, and, uh, <laughs> the biggest, fattest ones available. Okay, yeah, that's a that's a standard choice. Um, you, you go for desktop, yeah, rather than laptop, or yeah, that um, the iMac Pro does look pretty tasty though, and mm. pretty powerful. So maybe we'll do that. Will's, Will's noting it down. Yeah. Full spec iMac Pro. That's got to be like tens fifteen of grand. Of I think it's it mental. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, what about um, DAW? What's your what's your choice for music making now? Are you still Ableton? Yeah, I can't really look anywhere else but Ableton, to be honest. It's kind of just become uh, embedded. And you you were at the forefront of that. I mean, like when I 
my interview doing at Avalon, that was still a few, you know, many, I think probably yeah, I think, still quite a few years after you started using, yeah, I think using Able, Ableton. I think but, Ableton 4 was the first one that I got into. So I wasn't one at the right at the front of it, but yeah, no. it was it, it was there. Four and five are the first ones that I really got my head around and... Yeah, but especially taking it taking it live, you were definitely one of the first to. to... I do, I do feel that as uh, Ableton Ableton developed, it got harder and harder to use it for DJing. Yeah. Actually, it became a little more complex, and a little, the, the earlier versions five were a bit more simple and yeah. a bit more straightforward for DJing. And I do feel that they kind of thought. I think the, the Ableton guys just thought, well, Tractor's got the whole DJing thing taken care of, so we're just going to focus on the producers. It did feel like there was a split at that time where yeah. they could have had Ableton Live and Ableton Studio and had two products. Yeah, because it was like, called Ableton you know, Live, wasn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I do feel that it it went it went more studio-focused. Uh, and are you, are you still Tractor now? No, I don't use Tractor now. I stopped using that. I had some problems with a particular laptop I had in mind, and it just kept on shutting down in the middle of my sets without warning just go black screen and i'd have to reboot and um it was just it happened three or four times in front of big crowds and really stressed me out so i went out and bought a new computer brand new laptop set it up completely clean uh and i was djing i think in in la again um and i had the whole night there i was doing six hours and it did it again in the first hour. And I remember the whole, the next five hours, I was just sitting there going, is it going to happen again? I was just, that was it. And then after that, I was like, I can't deal with this. <laughs> I just can't deal with it. So are you back, are you yeah, back I'm to using USBs? Yeah, USBs, record, record box. box. Um, oh. I love the new Pioneer uh, CDJs. They're wicked. And the new mixer as well, the VM10, the the V10, sorry, is, is yeah. yeah amazing. I love that new mixer. So, yeah, I'm... I'm I'm just much more comfortable with that. You just know it's not going to go wrong and, you know. And do you use the Pioneer sampler? The, is it the S1 as well and things like that? Yeah, yeah S1, S1000. I, use, I actually use that quite a bit in the studio. Yeah. It's really fun. In, it's really fun in the studio. So, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, back to DJing, DJing, but because of the technology lets you still chop and change. Like, Yeah, I mean, you can... Re- yeah, you can really you can really go to town with the kind of looping and effects and stuff now. So it's you know a lot of the reason why I was so into using Ableton, uh, the the new machines mm. kind of cover that anyway. So what would your audio interface be? That's a tricky one. Um, I've changed audio interfaces so many times. I don't really have a particular brand that I'm. I mean, I guess the Universal Audio ones are are probably the ones to go for, just because of I mean, the, the the sound they sound great, and you know they've got all those you know built in plugins and stuff. But I mean, oh, oh, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> oh, he's remembered. Will had the finger on the button then. I mean, you you do get you do get a few um you do yeah. get a few with the device though, um, but you won't get any extras. But it is it is sort of the standard choice. I mean, um, to the point where. This question is becoming a bit tiresome. Sorry, <laughs> audience, but like, because everybody just everybody picks a Mac and Today. a UA. All right, sorry. Much. Yeah. Uh, apart from the engineers who who'll go for like a Burl or something like some really weird high end super yeah. high end clock yeah. kind of audio interface thing. Um, well, we can go for okay. the. We'll lock in the UA. I mean, do you need mic preamps? There's one with mic preamps and one without, right? Well, there's uh, there's a few different variations. Yeah, are you going to need mics later on? Do you think, Sasha? What do you? Reckon? I mean, if someone's coming to Tokyo to record a, right, okay. a vocal so, with me, then yeah, maybe. <laughs> with those three freebies out of the way, now we get to uh, your six choices. So, item number one in the Forever Studio. I guess you're going to need some headphones or some speakers. So you're going to need to hear it, but like. 
any order that you choose, but item number one out of your six. Um, well, I'm going to talk about the, 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 the pieces of equipment uh, that would make up my dream studio. There's, a, there's, there's one in particular that I've never owned, but most of these things, I've actually owned them at some point. Uh, and I've either stupidly sold them or I've left them at a mate's studio <laughs> and he's stupidly sold them because <laughs> he needed some money. Or they've been lost in a move or nicked or I've given away and just or I've just got rid of because it just it wasn't fitting at the time and then massively regretted it later. I think I could make up the studio from bits of gear that I've that, have, that are lost, lost in the mist, mists of time. Love it. The one piece of kit that um I've never owned yet and I'm on the cusp of buying because I keep hiring it whenever I'm in the studio in London and I love it to bits is the uh, AMS digital delay the uh, what's it the 15 yeah it's the AMS model DMX 15-80 S computer control S computer controlled stereo digital delay this rolls off the tongue that one I don't know if anyone's actually done the delay yet I'm, I'm hoping that oh. somebody will do a version of the delay but maybe I'm wrong maybe they've actually done it and I've missed it I think there's a reason why they haven't done the delay because I think it's it's just it does something so unique and so different to any other plug-in chain any, any other piece of equipment I've ever owned it's got this sound to it um you know Manchester uh in 1988 is where I kind of started my musical career my journey I started DJing and I was in, I was part of this whole kind of Factory Records, Hacienda, uh, Manchester. I was part of that whole sound. I was just right place, right time. So, mm. and I have such a strong connection to the music from from there. And um, every, everything pretty much made during that period of time has this delay on it. You know, it has such an incredible sound to it. But but have it because all you, because on the front you've got all these uh, silver knobs that you can muck around with while you record it. You, you, it's just so hands on, and you get stuff out of it that is just absolutely bonkers. And you just it it would take you hours with plug-in chains to do this and setting up MIDI controllers, and you'd sort of have to know what you were doing it for. Whereas with this thing. We just whenever you can play it like an instrument, you can play it like an instrument. You know, I know the Chemical Brothers have got like eight of them or something daft, and and they just hoard them because they keep breaking. I think, and (laughs) they're quite because they're quite old, and you know they keep on getting them serviced and using parts from one to fix another one. And so yeah, when we worked with, I worked with Steve Dub, who is their engine engineer or the kind of third member of the Chemical Brothers, really, and he. he showed us what what he does with it, and we would just sit there for hours recording, uh, putting stems through it. You know, we'd print a load of stems of our tracks, we'd feed them into the AMS, and just hit record, have it come up on the desk, and just go bonkers with it. And we've just got hours and hours and hours of stuff that you then go back in and chop up or use, and it just it's so unique and so uh, out there, and it just it's just a, a beautiful piece of kit. We've not had that one before. That's yeah, excellent. Lovely. What a great choice. That's a great way to kick things off. Always nice when somebody picks something that we've not had before on the podcast. Yeah, I just saw one pop up for a good, decent price. I might end up owning it by the end of today, actually. Oh, <laughs> we'll we'll <okay>. see. <laughs> we'll see. 
Um, what is a reasonable price for this thing these days? What, what are we looking at? Are well, they- I, was, I was looking about six months ago and they were all up around four grand, you know, and I was told a couple of, I was told like a year and a year and a half ago, they were all down around two grand so that they seem to fluctuate. Maybe, maybe when somebody goes on a podcast like this and talks about it, the price goes up <laughs> so, <laughs> and then they get forgetting about, forgotten about a bit and, um, and they drop back down again. Yeah, so. what a great piece of kit. The Music Tech My Forever Studio podcast is supported by Evo by Audience, the fantastic Evo Start Recording Bundle and the Evo 4 and Evo 8 interfaces. Yes, if you're a beginner, you can enter the world of audio recording with the Evo Start Recording Bundle, a professional, powerful and versatile solution for home recording from studio-grade audio brand Audient. This comprises the Evo 4 audio interface, the remarkably robust SR1 large diaphragm condenser mic with shock mount and a set of the Audient Evo SR2000 monitoring headphones. That's right, featuring loopback and smart gain, the new Evo bundle and compact interfaces make sure you can achieve studio quality recordings from the start. Smart gain means you don't have to worry about setting input levels, making it ideal for music makers who want to spend time creating, not engineering. And loopback lets you record everything you hear through the interface, making it a great fit for home recording rigs, podcasters, streamers, and content creators. Evo Start Recording Bundle is suggested to retail at £199, €220, and $249 in the USA. Discover Evo online at evo.audio. So if the first choice is, is not something you own, but you, you're saying like, so item number two, is this going to be something that was stolen or lost or, or a big regret from selling? Yeah, let's talk about my MPC 3000, actually, because that was, that was the first piece of equipment that I bought that I learned inside out. Oh, yeah. I, basically, I, I fell into the probably the similar trap that many people do when they first get a studio. You know, I got a record uh, advance and I went, right, I'm going to buy loads of new equipment. You know, got rid of all some of the old stuff or whatever. But this was actually my, this was my first room setting up actually where we ended up recording Expander and loads of other stuff. But, um, yeah, I went out and bought loads of equipment and then sat in this room for about a year, just not really understanding any of it very well and getting very frustrated and uh, not getting, not releasing much music, not really getting anywhere and just constantly look, reading manuals and not really understanding a lot of the basic stuff. Well, this this was a time where the manual was your only option as well. There's no YouTube videos or... Yeah, there was no, there was no YouTube. There was no, you know, and some of the manuals weren't very well written. <laughs> a lot of bad translation as well from like a lot of Japanese. Yeah. Really bad translations. Yeah, Japanese or German. Mm. Yeah, just not very good translations. And uh, so, yeah. Um, and I remember getting really frustrated with this room and not getting anywhere with it. And then I decided I was going to Australia, I think, for two months. I was touring for a month and I was going to take a break while I was there. And I thought, I'm going to take my MPC 3000 with him, just going to take one piece of kit with me and I'm going to sit down with it and I'm going to learn it inside out. So I took, I took that, I took the manual with me and I did that. I just literally sat there every day with this one piece of kit. And by the end of my two months there, I just knew it inside out. I understand how everything was working internally and how to get what I wanted out of it. And I was getting great sounds out of it, great grooves. And when I got back to the studio in London, I suddenly realized I actually knew a lot more of the equipment in the room because I'd learned one thing inside out, you know, mm. it helped me understand the, the whole way the studio was set up. So it was a real breakthrough rather than like, you know, I'd been sitting there trying to learn about 10 different bits of gear 
at the same time. And it was just too much, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's always my advice to anyone that's getting going in the studio is just learn one thing inside out and everything else will yeah. make sense to you then. Especially so. in, uh, the, the, you know, the day and age of plugins. I think a lot of people do that with synths. They, they get plugins synths, which is ridiculously powerful, but they just don't dig into it. They just go mm. through. Yeah. Yeah. No, they don't dig in. They go through the presets and they're like, oh, this is very synth. good. And then they just get bored of it <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Get, and buy another one. Yeah. So. Yes, certain things like Diva, for example. I mean, that thing's mm. just so deep and complex, and you can get anything you want out of it, really. And um, but it's very easy to, again to flip flick through pl- presets and go, "No, this isn't really what I'm after," you know. So, um, what happened to the MPC? That got uh, I don't know. That got lost in a move somewhere. I think I left oh. it. I left it. I stopped using it. Stupidly stopped using it when uh, I think when I switched over to Ableton. I thought oh, I don't need that anymore and. Um, yeah, I don't know if it got, I think, I don't know if it got nicked or left in a storage unit somewhere. Yeah. So it's quite sad that one. Cause that was my, I really wish I'd kept that original machine cause I love the sound of it. Does it have any, uh, does it have any significant <laughs> birthmarks or tattoos or features that people might recognize? No, I don't think, I don't think so. I don't, I didn't put any silly stickers or anything on it. It's just, um, yeah, it just, yeah, it was just, it was, the, it was that, it was my first proper connection with the studio so i just wish i'd uh, yeah. held on to it you know ah oh, well hopefully somewhere somebody's using it to make music right now and, it, and it's not uh, been hopefully. skipped yep <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us quickly onto item number three so so far you've got an npc and you've got a delay i could do quite a lot with those two i need a synth though so well you, you can but you also can't hear them so oh so i've got pick speakers <laughs> yeah we don't give you those ones mm. for free that 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 uh, that's the okay. curveball well i would pick yeah. uh i would pick the focal speakers that we use at the moment because they're absolutely ridiculous are they the twin six b's the three-way ones yeah yeah yeah, yeah. or the that's... or the sm9s sm9s are very popular yeah yeah because they just they uh yeah gary barlow's standing speakers uh pick wasn't it the sm9 gary barlow <laughs> yeah yeah we had Barlow, Barlow on our Christmas special, who was brilliant, and uh, had the SM, SM9s partly so he could throw them at intruders if needed because they weigh a ton. Yeah, that's them. SM9s, five grand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're the ones. Intruder-busting focal SM9s. Yeah, they just nice. they just sound absolutely brilliant. We have them in the studio in London. And, uh, I mean, I actually work on a pair of really pretty cheap speakers in, in Ibiza. I've got two little setups in Ibiza. I've got... Um, mm. I've got the the Pioneer speakers that they sent to me during the lockdown because they were in a, in their lockup in Ibiza. They said you can ha- you can have these, and I actually really like working on them. Um, they're just speakers I can work on all day, and they just don't bother. You know, they just they they just make everything sound good and really. I've, I have got a pair of Genlacs wrapped up in a box, and I'm just I actually think I actually think it, funnily enough, just for for working all day long on them. I, uh, the Genlex make everything sound just so pretty and wide that you can you can you can work on something, think you've really nailed it, take it away, and you're like, ah, oh, where's all that wideness gone? <laughs> you know. So um, yeah, I actually like working on these, and then and then I've actually got a Void Club system in my in my basement at the moment, which has been lent to me by them, and it sounds absolutely sick. But I can't work on that all day long. But that's that's nice yeah. for when for when the friends come over and you want yeah. to show off. Yeah, they're they're pretty sparkly the voids as well, aren't they? Kind of, yeah, it's they really can be nice. quite maybe not really? for all day working, it can be a bit no, fatiguing no, on not, the ears. Yeah, they definitely can be a bit fatiguing to work uh, for long periods on them. But you know, 
yeah, these these the the cheaper pine. I think they're about five hundred quid a pair. These pioneers, but I really I really like working on them. So, but if I had to pick a pair for my penthouse in Tokyo, um, it would have to be the uh, the SM nines because those things just sound wonderful. Nice, lock that in. Will lock it into the build. It's in. Item number four. Well, yeah, I need a synth, and the one of the synths that got away. Again, it was moving. I've moved a lot in the last 20 years from sort of England to America, back to all the, around America, a few different places, back to Europe, back to London, to Amsterdam for a bit, Ibiza. So, yeah, I lost my my beloved JD800 uh, synthesizer along the way somewhere. I just don't know what happened to it. Um, I left a few synths in New York. I got some of them back. I got my I've got I've got an ARP twenty six hundred a blue one the old one, I got that I got that back thank God but yeah a couple of the other ones just they just got lost in in the move somewhere and the guy that was looking after him he moved a couple of times and he he can't remember what happened to him so somebody somewhere's seen it standing up in a corner somewhere and thought I love that so but the thing about this JD eight hundred it's the one that we used for absolutely everything we used it on air dagger we used it on i mean just wow. all that music that i wrote in the sort of late 90s early 2000s we just everything we got to a point with that synth where we're like we actually made a decision i think around about the involver days to stop using it because we'd used yeah. it for like i don't know 15 years on everything well, i think it became like the kind of that that synth became a little bit of a poster child of that genre of music or around that genre and once other people started realizing that was your kind of weapon you have to pivot so that you know they don't catch up with you i guess yeah i guess so it was just we what happened was we got hold of the the virus the access virus and that thing does a lot of the same sort of sounds as it but a lot more as well it's that kind of super um, sore kind of thing isn't it mm, that they had going yeah. on with roland and those kind of synths yeah but there's something about the jd800 all the sliders yeah. uh, editing editing it the size of it the weight of it the keyboard was nice to play it was just a you know it was just one of those synths that you could go back to time and time again it and looks so 90s as well I love yeah it, it does it, it was does. just it's before a... that time when they started putting like it was like peak where they couldn't have like sub menus and operating systems and things like that, right, so they exactly. just keep kept have to adding sliders, and there were so sliders many sliders and like, buttons, wow. and yeah, and it was just it was just so much fun to sit at and just you know we had a Waldorf wave as well uh, during that period of time, which I ended up selling, um, but I, I wasn't even though we got some amazing things out of the Waldorf wave, it was very temperamental and it just didn't have the it didn't have the instant wow factor that yeah. the JD800 had. With the, with the JD800, you'd sit down, and within five, two minutes, you'd feel like you're, you're Vangelis. You know? <laughs> it's just wonderful music would start popping out. The, the World Off Wave, you'd have, to, you'd have to work a little harder with it. It didn't have the internal effects, you know, and you'd have to kind of... But, we, you know, we did get some amazing things out of that, but I wasn't so attached to it. I don't feel as much uh, loss with selling that um especially because i put the money i put the money to good use in the studio um mm. but with the jd800 the fact it kind of just went without we re- without us realizing and it was full of our sounds as well you know we'd edited every patch and it was all completely customized mm. to our sounds and you know you were certain there were certain tracks where you could literally sit down p- put the preset on and you're like oh that's the track there it is so yeah that's any more significant markings or anything? I'd love, I'd love if one of these got discovered because of the podcast and somebody said, "Oh, I got only, that. Uh, I found it in a locker." Yeah, the only thing, the only thing I think that's remarkable about it is that all the patch names are just gobbledygook. Mm-hmm. 
you know, because Charlie May, who who did all the programming on that thing, would sit it for hours, and he would he would always name things with just stupid uh, symbols and numbers, and he'd never actually name something like atmospheric pad or whatever. He would he'd always just put down gobbledygook. So that's the only thing that would give it away is that if all the presets in it have got these kind of strange uh, strange names. Well. Listeners, do let us know on the email address, uh, editors at musictech.net, if you think you might have uh, Sasha's lost JD800. We're closing in now. Item number five. This is a bit of a curveball, and this is one that, that this is this is a system that I, uh, I. It's sort of a synth, but it's also got a computer link to it. So do, could this count? Depends what it is. I like the way Will just. For, Will just lent in and put his finger on the button ready. So let's see. Let's see. Okay, so it's a system called Kima, K-Y-M-A, and it's basically this granular synthesis uh, pr- production tool very much used in Hollywood for sound for sound design and stuff. And um, it comes with a little controller, and it, that's all it does. So there's a computer there, but it's that's all it does is do I've Kima. I've heard of this, yes. A supercomputer for sound testing, yes. yeah, as it was known. Yes, I'm. I've, I remember seeing this thing. So you get it in like a, a rack mount type thing now, can't you? Can you? Yeah, yeah, something, yeah. yeah, something like that. So we bought one of these in the '90s, and it was just like this grand. It's a. I, I really, I really love uh, granular synthesis. I really love some of the sounds that we get out of that. We we use it quite a lot in the studio. Whenever we get stems for a remix, for example, we'll feed them into lots of different different granular synthesis programs. One of the ones we get the best results out is called Metasynth, but it's it's really clunky. It's a French program, and it's just really weird and clunky, and it's not it's not very easy to use. But we get some incredible things out of it. But Kima was like this system that was you could actually do live. Uh, granular synthesis uh, processes and but it was really hard to use and it and nine times out of ten you would get absolute gobbledygook out of it that, that wasn't usable and we had it in the studio for probably about 10 years and every time i'd go over to it you'd end up losing a day of your time <laughs> you know because it was just so it was quite hard to use what i ended up having a guy come over from uh, new york actually who was like a chemo dude and he came for a week and spent a week in my house and we and the stuff we did that week we just got him to process loads and loads of stuff and we got such incredible stuff <laughs> out of it so really it was the fact that i just couldn't i wasn't i i couldn't get my head around it it was a bit too deep and too complex for me but i if i was locked in a penthouse in tokyo and i had some time on my hands i would like to relearn how to use that again because I've, I've 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 had such incredible results out of granular synthesis programming over the last few years and that that is the kind of the, the, the king of all granular synthesis uh, weapons, really. So yeah, I'd like to. I would like to revisit that. And that's the system. I sold yeah. that system just because I got frustrated with it because it just seemed to be a, a, a time wormhole for us. Yeah, I mean, it's like one of those systems. I guess we have to spend a day just programming, not making music. Kind of like that, yeah. Or you have to be an absolute nerd and learn it inside out, which I think BT did. You know, he's 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 probably he's he's probably got he's probably still got a chemo system in his nineties. Of, of course. So. And so, are there some tracks that we can hear your granular synthesis work from chemo on? I'm actually working on a project at the moment, which is all based around uh, kind of granular synthesis and stretching things. Basically, I've been taking little loops of music that say. 
two bars or four bars long and stretching them to say an hour. Are you using pull stretch or something like that? What are you using to do that? You, you can you can stretch use, using things like Metasynth okay. and other granular synthesis programs. You can stretch very small pieces of audio to like incredible lengths. We did one for to six hours. Wow. It was like a four bar piece of music. And we stretched it to, for six hours to see what happened. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that what happens is there's music buried in between the notes. Mm. So the reverb tails or the, the end of a voice or the before, the beginning of a voice or just all the stuff that's in between the notes, when you stretch it out, you can find magic in there because the granular synthesis programs, they just kind of fill in the dots. It's almost like AI, mm. really. If you if you use a normal sampler to stretch for six hours, it would just be you know a distorted yeah. mess. You, know? you, you couldn't do it. But with granular synthesis, it breaks everything down into tiny little grains mm and fills in the gaps. If, if there's a gap there, it'll fill it in. And it's and you end up with finding these incredible harmonics and pads and music in between notes that when you actually listen back to the original sample, it's like it's not there. It's almost like the people that wrote the music don't realize that there's a layer behind it. So it's like sampling the, the space between the notes, which is really exciting. And, and, and sometimes you'll get nothing out of it, but sometimes you'll find absolute gold. Does that take us to the last item? Yeah, we're on to our last item already. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's about about on time as well. Well done us. Final studio item, and then we'll go, we'll do a rundown after this, and then you can change your mind after the rundown, see what you think, but what's going to be the final item for your fantasy Tokyo penthouse amazing studio? It's a tricky one, but I, I've become very reliant on using Eventide, Eventide products over the last 20 years. I mean, I've always had... Uh, well, I had H3000 and then uh, the Orville, I had that. Um, and then more recently, mm. we've been using the H9 yeah. pedals because they're just so powerful. You know, all those algorithms that are in those old bits of kit are in the H9s now, and they're Amazing. just so powerful. So I've got about 10 of those things. Um, but I guess if I had to pick an absolute weapon, it would be their latest flagship, the H9000. Yeah, a popular choice as well. You know, because because that thing I think can do it can do everything. But I, I it's a spin up between the H nine though because with the H nine you can program it with the iPad, you know, and you can you can really quite quickly do edit your presets and it's actually a really fun thing to use. But the power of the H nine thousand I think would probably I'd have so they, to. They took the iPad programmability out of the nine thousand. Oh, is it is it in it? I don't know. I haven't got I don't, one. I don't so, know. I just. Yeah. I'm actually I'm waiting I'm waiting I'm waiting to get hold of one they they're going to send they're going to send one over for me I just uh yeah I, I actually had sold my Orville so that I could pay for that so you can actually the H9000 does have an app but I'm I'm super interested cuz people at home obviously not many people can afford an H9000 but the H9s are super affordable they're super affordable and they've got just incredible mm. algorithms in there I use I use ones uh when I'm DJing I actually use it as because I you know usually in DJ mixers uh, reverb algorithms are pretty yeah. crap. You know the Pioneer one. Sorry, guys, isn't very good. Um, their echoes, they're just they're just not very. They're not great. The, the new Pioneer mix has got that uh, analog uh, effects section in it, which apps which is absolutely brilliant. I use that a lot, but I don't really use on the other side of the mixer. They've got the uh, the standard effects that they've used, the digital effects, and I just I don't know. You can't compare those to Eventide. Eventide just, you know, you put a reverb on Nick and, and it's cavernous mm. and it can fill the whole club up and, you know, it's pr they're pretty amazing. I and with that V10 mixer, you've got amazing routing so you can you can route the 
to a fader you can have the orgs as a fader so you can cut 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 stuff exactly really nice yeah yeah absolutely yeah that's a wonderful mix of that is um but yeah yeah the the h9s are just so powerful they're affordable yeah we ended up buying a load for our live show so that when we you know my piano had its own one we we went direct out the piano into the mixer um and this all the synths had their own h9 and so we, we've ended up with about eight eight of the things and but they're just you know in the studio i use two and what algorithms are you what are your favorite algorithms on the h9 then uh oh let me think i can't think straight hang on a second um and are they are they are they mono in stereo out i think they're Stereo, stereo in, is stereo well, in, stereo yeah. out. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah. They've got some amazing names for them. Though. I remember at, I was at a Nam show one time, and they were releasing the Crush Station, and they decided that their whole thing was going to be like wearing crab claws, and so this guy was adjusting the knob, the one knob on the top, and it was just a giant crab claw, and it was very unwieldy. I'll say, uh... <laughs> yeah, they've got Triceracorus, Harmadillo. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the space time are the ones that I use the yeah, most, right, okay. you know, and sh- uh, shimmer is another one that I really yeah. like for the, for the reverbs, the shimmer one, uh, the space time. And then we, you know, obviously for pitch shifting, the, the crystallizers and stuff are just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and with, with the app, you can kind of, you, you can put two or three on top of each other and create these really quite deep and complex, uh, um, presets so yeah i've got i've got a really wonderful kind of pitch shifting uh reverb uh that just bends while I, while i'm djing and if you throw the whole track through it on a kick or a snare it just fills the whole uh club up and just yeah it's a really it's really it's, it's the one i go to all the time i think it's called hell's gate um ah. and i use that a lot for my dj sets well i definitely want one of these now I, uh, I I had a play with yeah. them once, and they are uh, like a Nam or something. When they when they brought the pedals out, they were great. But yeah, need one. Yeah, I mean we yeah we 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 use them on absolutely everything. So okay, so you're th- going for the nine thousand now. We're going for the I the big one, Daddy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay, so Will, do you want to do the rundown? So Sasha, have a listen to this. This is your this is your forever studio. We're in a penthouse at the Park Hyatt in Tokyo specifically for those (laughs) sacred writing moments that you mentioned. Your computer is the now discontinued iMac Pro fully stocked. Your audio interface is a Universal Audio Apollo. You have Ableton Live 11 Suite we're going to give you because we're benevolent like that. (laughs) Um, And for your studio items, you have chosen an AMS DMX 1580S stereo digital delay an Akai MPC-3000, Focal SM9s. Your synth is a Roland JD-800. You've also gone for the Kyma granular synthesis system and for effects, an Eventide H9000. How does that sound? That sounds like I could make some music with that. <laughs> yes. Good. So no changes. We're locking that in. Let's lock it in. Yeah, we've locked it in. So The only other, the, the only other synth that I lost that I... Uh, I don't. I'm still not as attached to it as the as the JD800. But it was a. I had a. I had a memory moog once, and that was a beautiful piece of kit. But it kept on going wrong, and I, we eventually got rid of it because it just was really unstable. But the the sounds we got out of that were really beautiful. But no, I think the JD800 is. Yeah, it's that long lost love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's interesting about that though, specifically, is that I think that's the first 
like vintage digital synth that anyone's chosen. Everyone always goes for old analog stuff. That's like the that's the way that yeah. people go with this. So to have that is is a nice it's a nice change. I do enjoy that. So we've got one final item, which is a non it's not a piece of studio kit, but it's a luxury item that you can have in this penthouse. Obviously you've got your furniture, you've got your cables, you've got your family, you've got your pets. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Is there something that you've always had in the studio, like a, a picture or some art or something that you would have in, in, in the fantasy world? to have in that studio a luxury item oh yeah i've got there's this one picture of me on top of space it was we used it it was taken for the global underground ibiza um compilation and dean got managed to get a picture of me on the roof of space with my legs hanging over next to the space sign and the plane's going overhead and i'm pointing up at the plane and i don't know it just makes me very happy it reminds me where i came from and i think you know and uh, what year was that taken oh uh, that would have been when was that 94 95 wow yeah yeah so that's um, that's been in every studio since then it has yeah yeah it has oh that's wicked i mean that rounds up the my forever studio podcast with sasha thank you so much sasha for joining us i i had a blast always good talking gear with you nice one awesome. great thanks for having me and uh yeah compilation it'll be out uh it's out, out now out now so check that out and um yeah that's it nice one fellas okay. Okay, thanks so much to Sasha. But before we do the usual call for reviews, suggestions, and general love and affection, we have a statement from Sasha. Hmm? How how do you feel about this, Will? A statement? Pretty political, right? Uh, It feels dubious, Chris. (laughs) It's a statement regarding a Forever Studio gear choice. Okay, so hold your breath, Will. Finger on the buzzer. Okay. It's also worth noting as well, we should point out that this was recorded while Sasha was under the travel limits of the pandemic and wasn't in his studio, which you may have noticed from the less than perfect recording, but hopefully you still enjoyed it. We thought it was a great episode. Um, Anyway, here goes. I'll read the statement. This is from Sasha. I want to change the sound card because I've been using the Pioneer VM10 mixer in my home studio since we did the My Forever Studio podcast. I use it as my sound card and it's brilliant to have a DJ mixer with a sound card in it and that level of control. I can record live DJ sets into Ableton and all the channels and effects come up on separate channels so I can properly edit and produce the mixes after I've done the live mix. Mm -hmm. The routing in the mixer is amazing and the onboard analog effects section is really powerful and useful. I just mixed down the Luzo Skura album with it and it was so effortless and fun. I know this is a bit of a cheat because it's a sound card and a mixer. Mm -hmm. Bundle button ready, Will. But I thought I would see if I could sneak it in. So, are we allowing this, Will? What do you reckon? I'm, I'm going to allow it because I think it's a clever workaround and I appreciate that. But also, yeah, this, this, is, a, this is a one-time deal. This won't happen again. Let's draw a line under it. Okay, done. Sasha, okay. you have yeah. your Pioneer VM10 swapped in. Well done. Okay, now for our cries for love and affection. <laughs> yes, if you are loving the My Forever Studio podcast, make sure you subscribe using your favourite podcasting app and give us a five-star rating and a review, please. We do read all of them and we love hearing your guest suggestions. We've actually had some amazing guest suggestions in the last week or so uh, for the next series. So... If you want to contact us, email editors at musictech.net. Yes, yes. And next week on our final episode of the series, cry, cry, cry. Ooh, <laughs> final episode. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I'm not a loud crier. I'm, I'm like a single tear guy. Like the emoji. I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Next week on our final episode of the series, we journey into Studio Foreverdom with the brilliant Belgian brothers. Soul Wax. Soul Wax, Will. Yes, Soul Wax. Are you excited? I'm very excited. I've been a big fan for a long time. So if you tune in next time, you'll discover that they are a duo that have so many synths, they sometimes forget what they already own. So it's going to be worth listening to. And it's going to be a huge challenge for them, more importantly. It's nice when people have just like lockups and warehouses full of gear that they've collected and uh, yeah, they can't remember what they have. Uh, So yeah, do tune in for that one. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye-bye.